I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 19. The Gospel of John, chapter number 19. And if you're physically able to do so, would you stand out of love and respect for the reading of the Word of God? Just going to read one verse for you this morning and just share a thought with you about a few people. Of course, this is in the midst of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. well, there's just no way in one message you can encompass all the, pers- all the different individuals, all the events, all the things that happen in, in, the, in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I, I believe that uh, for, 40% of the gospel records uh, cover the last eight days of Jesus' life, and much of that devoted to the crucifixion. There's just so much there. But I just want to draw from that well just one, one thing this morning that maybe will be uh, something that we, there is something here that each of us could take home today. In John chapter number 19, verse number 25, it says this, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Lord, your only begotten Son. Father, we, we uh, come to you and we, we pray that today, that this Lord's Day, Father, that you would be glorified in all that's done. We plead for your Holy Spirit. Father, I give myself uh, to be your servant, to be an instrument. I pray that you'd fill me now with your spirit and power for service. And Father, I pray that each and every person that is here would yield their hearts, their mind, their will to that still small voice this morning as well. Father, we have no power over the Holy Spirit, but we pray that He would come and have all power over us. We pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted up before our eyes in all His agony and all His glory, Lord. And Father, that You would be pleased in all that's done. Father, everyone that's here this morning has some need. There might be somebody here that uh, needs Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Father, there might be some saint that needs encouraged in the way, or maybe, Lord, someone that just needs to, Lord, they haven't been living for You uh, the Christian life as they ought. They need to turn again to the good way. We pray that, Lord, that you would meet the needs of your people this morning. We'll give you our thanks and our praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. You can be seated this morning. We find that the, the flock has been, the, the shepherd has been smitten. The flock has been scattered, as it is said prophetically, and the men that had followed Jesus so closely, so intimately, so personally for three years, three and a half years, had fled and I'll be honest, I don't fault them very much for that. We find here at the foot of the cross four ladies and one man, mostly ladies. And, and you know, we, it would be very easy to be hard on those men, but, uh, and it'd be very easy to just pass it off to prophetic fulfillment, and it was prophetic fulfillment. But, you know, it's very difficult for a man to stand by another man that he loves and do nothing when they suffer. And if a man cannot deliver... Human nature withdraws. But, a woman, but, but it's different for a woman. A woman knows, understands that ministry of presence and empathy and just being there, uh, she can behold the sufferings and bring comfort with her presence. And so for the majority of Jesus' earthly ministry, those, those men were close with him and, and John was there, one of them was, and we'll certainly see draw something from John here, Uh, but for the most part, there is a group of ladies that stands at the foot of the cross. We find his mother Mary, her sister uh, Salome, 
who would have been an aunt to our Lord, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene and the Apostle John. And we're told that these stood by the cross. What a tremendous thought. That's the message this morning, standing by the cross. What a tremendous act to stand by the cross and to behold suffering, not the typical suffering, but of all the means of human torture and execution, the cross historically has proven to be amongst the most feared and terrifying of all the ways that men have died in in the history of life on this earth. Rome was not the first to use the cross. Six ancient civilizations before Rome used the cross as punishment. It was, uh, Rome simply made it popular. It was the punishment for poor criminals and, and under the Roman Empire, slaves. Two out of three people were slaves under the Roman Empire. Only one out of three citizens were, were considered purchased, redeemed citizens or freeborn citizens. So somebody like the Apostle Paul could be spared a slow and torturous death and be executed by beheading uh, quickly while somebody like Peter was crucified uh, a, a, as a common criminal, uh, not having Roman citizenship. And it was a very common form of execution. Crassus uh, crucified 6,000 followers of Spartacus on one occasion. Typically, crucifixion was an annual event. It was meant to strike fear into the hearts of the citizens of Rome, of Rome, the slaves of Rome, so that they would not dare to defy the Roman Empire. But in times of mass uprisings, there would be mass crucifixions. In fact, in the year that Emperor Titus destroyed the Temple of Jerusalem in 70 AD, 500 people were crucified every single day for that entire year. 180,000 people in a year. But today... The cross has become the eternal token of God's love and sacrifice. What was once a symbol that struck terror into the hearts of the world has now become the most sacred and treasured symbol of the world. When I walked into your auditorium, I noticed right away, just like in our auditorium back home, probably as in most auditoriums, that behind the pulpit stands a cross. Now, I'm sure that there were others that watched from a distance, but there were a few that drew close to Jesus Christ to the foot of the cross, to stand by Him there. And there was a risk that was involved in so doing because a mob called for the death of Jesus Christ as as a criminal and to identify with Him at the foot of the cross, you're going to be branded. Where we live... Uh, we live uh, not far from, 30 minutes from Terre Haute, Indiana, and, and uh, in Terre Haute, Indiana is a federal prison. There are 162 federal prisons in the United States of America. Terre Haute, Indiana is the flagship prison for the federal prison system. Uh, I have men in my church that work there as federal corrections officers. It is where all the terrorists are, are kept in prison, men like Timothy McVeigh, the Somali uh, pirates, and, and men like that, the 9-11 uh, individuals that were arrested in conjunction with that, and uh, that, that's where they're all at. That's, that is where death row is. That's where all the executions take place. And uh, there were several executions before the last presidential election. And <clears throat> whenever someone is executed, there are two groups, groups of people that come. There are family and loved ones of those who are seeking justice for the death of their loved ones. And then there are also the family and the loved ones of the one that's about to be executed. And there's an obvious natural 
animosity and bitterness between those groups. And the world held so much hatred for Jesus Christ that they crucified him with a conviction of innocence. Now listen to me, church. There have been a lot of people that have been innocent and they have been convicted and been giving a conviction of guilt even though they were innocent. I don't know of another case in history where someone like Pontius Pilate says, I find no fault in him, declared innocent, and yet delivered to be to the death penalty. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that when Jesus was crucified, that he was not alone. Dying alone is a very fearful thing. I'm glad that someone was there when Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The only time in our Lord's life on this earth where he addressed heaven and did not say, Father. Did not, embrace, did not invoke the privilege of a son. The only time where Jesus now said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm glad he was not alone. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, and then I think about these individuals, I want to see who are the type of people that stood by Jesus at the foot of the cross and maybe see if in, in some way we can stand there too. So the very first individual we come across is his mother, Mary. Now, Mary was in a unique position. She was the only one uh, that would stand by him uh, in the the role of mother. And she had a mother's love. And she had a love for Jesus that no one else could, unique to any other individual in the history of of the world. I mean, she was the one, the human instrument, the vessel, that pure virgin, that, that uh, uh, that young virgin that God chose to be the human instrument that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, re- made under the law to redeem them from the law that we might receive the, uh, the gift of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I'm glad that Mary was there. She was the one that her first, that first time that a woman expects a child, and, and, and it's unique, a, a father, uh, when the child is born and he holds that baby in his arms for the first time, there's something that happens. But with the mother, it's different because that life grows in her, in her, in her inside of her. And she feels that, that heartbeat, and she feels that child growing, and she feels that child's uh, that child moving within her and, and Mary also carrying the scorn and bearing the brand of an immoral and impure woman. Everybody thinking that she was out with child out of wedlock. And that's not in Jesus' day. Uh, that, that was something that brought great shame and it was something that never left you. And now she stands there carrying that child born to die, carrying that child when she said, My soul doth magnify the Lord and rejoice in God my Savior, knowing that she needed Him to be her Messiah, her Savior. And now she's standing there by the cross, that child that she carried, that child that she cared for, that she nursed, that she loved and, and did all the, and, and invested her life in. And now she's standing there helpless. And I'm just going to tell you, mothers, it doesn't matter how much you love your children, you cannot save them. This world is going to come for them. This, girl, this world is going to cry out. They, will, they, would, they would cry out. They, they would like to destroy their lives just as, uh, as, as they did the life of Jesus. And, 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 and yet Mary, we find her standing there and probably one part of, her, of a mother's heart wishing she could save her child. And there was a point where there was nothing she could do 
but leave her son in the hands of her God. I'm just here to tell you, every parent, if Jesus tarries, you're going to come to that place in life. You've raised them, you've trained them up in the nurture and ammunition of the Lord, you've taught them, and, and, and things often are good in the home, but there are no guarantees outside the home. By the way, let me just remind you, in the Garden of Eden, there was a, a perfect, the perfect home. God the Father was the perfect parent. Adam was the son of God and his wife Eve, and the perfect parent with sinless children, and Satan was able to destroy that home. I mean, he, and, and, and both children broke the heart of God the Father. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, you can do everything right and, and, and things still go wrong. And praise the Lord, and if everything goes right, thank, give, give glory to the grace of God. But there are no guarantees. And I know this, I know that there are parents uh, that, that have raised their children, and, and as they grow, and then they see this world coming for them, and we just stop and wonder... Uh, what is going to happen? Let me just encourage you. There is power in standing by the cross. Don't, you, don't have to follow, uh, you don't have to follow them. Uh, by the way, I've seen parents when their children, when this world has destroyed their children, that they put all their hopes in their children and not the Lord Jesus Christ and then destroyed their own lives as a result as well. There are a lot of people that instead of standing by the cross, by the way, I could tell you story after story too of, of mothers that come to church every Sunday and come to an altar and fathers with them. Look, if Joseph would have been alive, he'd have been, I believe he would have been there with Mary standing there. And, and uh, of course, not the biological father, but the earthly stepfather of our Lord. Uh, the, there are Sundays every, every week where people, they come to an altar and they're praying for children, standing by the cross and kneeling before the Lord, praying that God would move on behalf of their uh, of their children's lives and bring them back. And, you know, they prayed a prayer as a child and was it real? Was it not? Many times it was. Sometimes we find comfort in chastisement. Sometimes we just don't know. And we don't know what to do. I'm just here to tell you this morning, stand by the cross. Then we find a second individual, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. Now there is a, a Jewish historian and uh, his name is Hegesippus. He was uh, from Nazareth. He was born uh, just after, oh, about 30 years after the death of John. And he was a Jewish, uh, he grew up in a Jewish Orthodox home. He became a, a Christian and he became an early church historian not long after John lived. And if his history is correct of the early church, we have no reason to disbelieve it any more than we do anyone else's history. Then Cleophas was the brother of Joseph, the earthly stepfather, the husband of Mary, uh, and, the, and he would have been an uncle to Jesus Christ. Do you remember Cleophas was one of those two men on the road to Emmaus that uh, when Jesus appeared after the resurrection, there were two men, and uh, the one that we identified for sure was Cleophas, and if that be true, Cleophas was Jesus' uncle and did not recognize him following the re- resurrection. He was disturbed by doubts that uh, his nephew should have been the Christ. And, and uh, there is also good internal evidence that several of the 12 apostles, maybe perhaps as many as seven of them, were the sons of Mary and Cleophas and would have been cousins to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that says uh, quite, quite a bit about um, uh, the, the, the cross and those that stood by there. Can I say it like this this morning? There was family at the foot of the cross. I believe that 
I believe that, that churches are composed of families and families ought to stand by the cross. I believe it's the family business to stand by the foot of the cross. And, and again, we want to find out where Cleophas was. He probably withdrew with his sons. Uh, but, uh, uh, and we know that he was restored following the resurrection to fellowship and in the upper room and, and probably with those, those sons. But I'm glad that there was family, that Jesus didn't just have his mother, but that he, just, that he also had family there at the foot of the cross. And not, just, and not just Cleopas, his mother's sister, Salome. Salome, if you read Mark's account, is where we find out that it was Salome. She was the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder. Another of his aunts, two aunts, standing with his mother. Sometimes we get confused with all the Marys and the different ones, and sometimes they're named and sometimes they're not. In Mark's Gospel, we're told that this is Salome, uh, the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder, and that she was a wife. Again, uh, of more of the family. But I'll tell you what's unique about Salome that I like about her standing by the foot of the cross is that she would have been loved and respected as an aunt and family. But there was an occasion just days before Jesus went to, to, to Calvary that Salome, uh, as, the, as they, they were traveling uh, from the land of Galilee, Galilee to Jerusalem, before that week of His passion, Salome approached Jesus on the road and she tried to play the family fidelity card. And she, she came to Jesus publicly. And, and, and by coming publicly means she probably did it on purpose. And when she publicly came to Jesus, she put him on the spot and she said, Lord, she said, I would that you would do something for me. Now, if my aunt comes and asks me to do something for her, uh, I'm going to do it if it's in my power. But you know, you can't always do everything that everybody wants you to do. And, so, and he said, what wilt thou th that, that I should do for thee? And of course, Jesus knew what she was going to ask. And she said, Lord, that my son sit on thy right hand and on thy left hand in thy kingdom. And she publicly put Jesus on the spot. And you know, you know the story. Jesus said, that's not, that's not mine to give. That's, that's for whom it's prepared by my father. And Jesus had to publicly rebuke his aunt. Now, I don't know what kind of family you come from, but if I rebuke my aunt publicly, whether she's wrong and I'm right or not, I, that just ain't going to go well for me. Now, how do you think Salome felt? being openly rebuked by her nephew publicly. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that open rebuke is better than secret love. But what's amazing to me about Salome, you know, what she did there was, was human nature, part of the fallen nature. But then to come and stand by the foot of the cross, do you know how many people would have too much pride to do that? Do you know how much humility that it took for, uh, I mean, that took sincere confession, repentance, piety. It, it took pride to ask and humility to come stand by the foot of the cross. By the way, God give us more like her. Do you know how many people that we have had in the midst of our family and even our church family, some public faux pas, some public shame, and it was rebuked and everybody knew it? And do you know how, look, if, if our churches had all the people that that had happened, that, that had left because of their pride and didn't have enough humility to make things right and come back, we'd all need new buildings. 
But I just want you to know this morning there, that we're all going to, we're, there's nobody that, that's not going to do what Salome did. We're all going to have some, some public shame, some public disgrace. We're not perfect in a church. I, I mean, uh, Moses killed a man and Noah got drunk and Samson failed to keep his vow and David committed adultery, conspiracy, and Peter denied Christ and Paul took a Nazarite vow after being freed from the law by grace. And I mean, even some of the greatest Characters in the Bible have had their public shames recorded. But what makes their lives worth remembering is their repentance and humility. And the fact that they had enough character and enough love for Jesus Christ to swallow their pride and make things right and come stand by the foot of the cross. I'm so glad. I think that she stands out almost above all others. But there's still two others here this morning. There's also Mary Magdalene. And all we know about Mary Magdalene is that she was from Magdala and she had been possessed of seven devils before uh, Jesus had uh, delivered her. It's been sus- uh, suspected that she was probably a harlot and uh, Magdala was known for uh, women of such occupation and, and unclean spirits always accompany immoral sins and anger and worldly music and liquor and drugs and things like that. And uh, it's highly likely that she was indeed a woman of shame and ill repute. And and she is an example of the chiefest and the poorest and the most wretched souls that Satan has ever held in bondage. And yet we find her free at the foot of the cross. A, A woman whose life had been, as we would say, wrecked, ravaged, and ruined by sin. But she had come to the place where probably where society had used her up and left her and no longer wanted anything to do with her and despised her. And probably she had come to that point that no one despised Mary Magdalene more than Mary Magdalene despised herself. And I don't know about you, but that's exactly how I felt when I got saved. I just want to say this morning, I don't know who's here this morning, but perhaps with this many people... There's somebody here, you're, 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 you came to church today and somebody loved you enough to invite you to church and they brought you hoping that you would come and stand by the foot of the cross and realize and, and, and say, yes, I know that, that God uh, loved the world enough to give His Son, but you don't know how bad I am. You don't know how wicked my life's been and God can't save me. Yes, He can. You don't understand how great His love is. You don't understand how great His grace is that where sin did abound, grace did yet much more abound. And you, by the way, you're in a room full of people that stood in the same place that you're standing. And we came to realize that, that our sin had separated us from our God and, and that the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that sin, though it has separated us, and sin has to be paid, somebody's going to pay for it. By the way, you'll, you'll pay for it and the bill will never be paid in everlasting, in everlasting death and torments. Or you can accept the fact that God loved you so much that He gave His only begotten sinners. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God uh, sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That Jesus Christ offered Himself as a pure and a sinless sacrifice. He lived the life that you and I could not live. No matter how good, you could be the best person on earth, but one day you're going to stand before a thrice holy God in heaven and you're going to find out that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all missed the mark. We have missed 
miss that standard. Look, you look around this world and you can say, I'm better than this person and that person. and I don't smoke and drink and chew and run around with bad boys and girls that do and all you want. But when you stand before God in heaven, you're going to find out we fall exceeding short. We'll never match that standard. And yet, our sins that have separated us from God, God gave His Son to shed His blood and to die and to rise from the dead. What hope have you and I of life beyond this life if Jesus Christ could not be resurrected from the dead? Could you imagine a former prostitute possessed by multiple unclean spirits standing by the foot of the cross and Perhaps, what does Mary think? And what does Salome think? And what does the wife of Cleopatra? Nobody was thinking about that. Everybody's thinking about the one that's hanging there. By the way, the cross will do that for you. We'll stand, we, uh, we, we tend, the, when you stand by the foot of the cross and you look up, you know, it's amazing how multitudes disappear and you find yourself alone before the Lord and, and seeing Him suffering for our sins there. And so we find these four women. And yet there was one man there. We find John there, the disciple standing by whom he loved. Now, Jesus loved all his apostles. We're told in John 13, verse 1, that he loved his own which were in the world. He loved them unto the end. And Jesus loves everyone, loves every man, every woman, every boy and girl. But God has his favorites. Now listen to me, God has no respecter of persons in redemption, but there is something else in relationship. And uh, Jesus himself taught in the house of Simon the leper that whomsoever to much is forgiven, the same loveth much. And whomsoever little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And there are people that have historically proven that they they do love Christ more and that, look, if you got a child that is, you have a child that you want to love, but they're constantly in disobedience and rebellion and breaking your heart. It's not that you don't love them. And then you have a child that's doing uh, every, uh, everything according to the will of the father and of the parents. There's going to be a stronger relationship. There's going to be love because you prove your, you prove your love by your obedience. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. Love isn't, uh, we live in a society that, merit, that, that, uh, determines love based on emotional feelings. And love, real love is not based on how you feel. Our feelings change from moment to moment, let alone day to day. But our love is proven by our obedience. And John was that one that, whom Jesus loved and, and that Jesus loved him. And he was the one that uh, Jesus uh, leaned on the breast of Jesus in the upper room. And, and, and I'm glad that there was somebody standing by the foot of the cross that loved our Lord. And that there was a man who was willing to prove it, not by what he said or by how he felt, but by what he did, and to come stand by when all others had forsaken. You know, John had the right to say something else that none of the other apostles write. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And John could write those words because he had stood by the cross. I wonder how many people sing, oh, how I love Jesus in church, but then they never stand by the cross. Somebody that loves Jesus ought to 
to come and stand by him. And we know that Jesus gave the care of his mother into John, uh, commended her, her care to John and, and, uh, and the one that he loved, fulfilling his last earthly responsibility as the eldest son, the care of his mother, not giving him to one of his brothers, but giving them to John. And John gave the one that he loved, Mary, into the care of one that loved Jesus, John. And I just want you to get this this morning. I believe that he has commended the care of those he loves into the care of those who love him. And I'm speaking about the church. Christ has left us here to love one another and to care for one another. John 13, 35, he said in the upper room, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. By the way, when, when you get in a good church and... Church, listen to me. There are churches, there are good churches, there are great churches. And I'm just here to tell you, I've known of this church for, for many years. And the little bit that I've been here, I can tell this is not just a good church, this is a great church. And those are rare. And you and I, we have an obligation within our churches to prove our love to the Lord. And to prove that we're willing to stand by Him by our, how we demonstrate our love for each other in deed and in truth. You have a pastor that loves you enough to preach truth to you. By the way, truth isn't always to hear, easy to hear. But it's what we need to hear. You have someone that loves you enough uh, the, to, 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 to stand by each other and to serve the Lord together. And if you was to go to Mark chapter 15 and verse 41 that talks about those standing by the cross, it says that there were many others which makes a place for you and I this morning. I'm so glad that when Jesus hung on the cross for my sins, that he didn't die alone. I'm so glad that when God crucified the light of the world and the world went black and he gave up the ghost, giving his life, no one could take it. It didn't matter how many, how many times they ran that spear in his side. It did not matter how, how much he bled. Jesus gave his life. No man took it from him. He said, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. He knew that he would do that. And I'm so glad that often as we go through the life of the Lord Jesus, we tend to see the failures and the faults of those that were around him. As we look at the, uh, the perfection and the purity of Christ and his deity and his humanity. Uh, that, but here, there was a group of people that shone forth. And I don't know about you, but I want to join, I want to be a part of that crowd. I want to be that place. But just remember, when you stand by the cross, that's a place of, that's a place of surrender. That's a place of surrendering to the, ultimately to the Father's will. It is a place of sacrifice. It is a place of suffering. It is the ultimate demonstration of love. You know what? This morning there's a cross here. And I understand that's not the cross that Jesus died on, but it's a, it's a reminder of God's love and sacrifice for us. And you know what? In a church, we have a place that we call an altar. We refer to Calvary as an altar, that mountain where Christ was crucified on the altar of Calvary. And there's a cross over your altar this morning, and it's, it's a good place for parents that are uncertain about their children. It's a good place for families. By the way, I hope there are times... That when your children grow up, that they remember times that as a family, that mom and dad and sons and daughters came together at an old-fashioned altar. By the way, if you're here and you're without Jesus Christ, somebody loves you enough to invite you to church this morning. 
And there is somebody that would meet you right down here at the foot of this altar and take a Bible and give you all the time, the attention you need, and would show you how you can know heaven as your home and Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you know what? There's a place for those that love Him. It seems to me that Calvary truly does cover it all, that there's a place for everybody this morning.